Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I like to challenge the people who reach out to me and ask, hey, how did you do this? Make sure you don't fall into that analysis paralysis and educate yourself enough and take that first step because I think it's way worth it. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us. And he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, in addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. Uh, when we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, he's uh, brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got And assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, But besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at 
easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Bo Kim, how you doing, Bo? Doing well, Joe. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well, and it's my pleasure, and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Bo. He started investing by renting his three-bedroom house. Then he connected with local investors who invest out of state. He now has six rentals in six months of investing. He's based in Los Angeles, California. And with that being said, Bo, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Bo, and during the day... I work as a consultant for a CPA firm here in LA. I've been in accounting for about five years. And on the side, I've been slowly learning about real estate investing and getting into rental real estate. And like you mentioned, Joe, the way that I kind of fell into this was about two years ago, I bought my primary residence in the suburbs of LA. It's a modest three-bedroom, three-bath townhome that I was able to rent out one of the rooms and create that steady cash flow. And it kind of opened the eyes to passive income and wanting to grow that passive income. So ever since then, I've been kind of reading books, listening to audiobooks, going to meetups like a madman and trying to figure this all out. And it's been an incredible journey thus far. You're a consultant for a CPA firm. How do you apply your area of expertise as a consultant role into what you're doing now as a real estate investor building your own portfolio? A great question. So I think it fits in perfectly with what I'm trying to do with rental real estate, just because as an accountant, I'm a numbers guy and I'm really into analytics and kind of measuring the different metrics. So there's tax and audit, and then there's the consulting arm. So I'm not the guy to go for tax advice, but I typically work with a lot of companies who need systems and processes built into their company. So anywhere from inventory to revenue to payments, things like that. I go in there and I look at the current environment and I make recommendations, how to streamline operations, things like that. So what I did when I started out was immediately I recognized that, hey, if I want to scale this business out and I wanted to really treat this as a business, I needed to come up with systems and processes from day one so that after each property under my belt, things were just going to start to get easier. So I think from that perspective, it's really worked out well. What have you implemented? Anything from checklists, From what I do from a due diligence standpoint, I have reminders. There's different things that I will check cross-reference with county records or with maybe two different brokers or PMs, things like that I've implemented. So I would like to quote-unquote call them controls to make sure that I mitigate the risk as much as possible. What are some things could go wrong? So due diligence checklist, what are some other checklists that you have? When I study a market or like a property and also when I'm running some of the cash flow numbers, I like to normalize the cash flow expenses by checking different references. Now that I've started to do the Burr method and try to flip those properties to myself and create that appreciation, what I've been doing is getting different brokers to give me a market analysis so I can get a better idea of 
the comps in the area. So little things like that, I've tried to implement systems. You've got six rentals in six months. Is that accurate? Yeah. I closed on my first one in late January, and I closed on my sixth one in July. So it's been six months. But before I closed on my first one, I was reading books and studying for about two, three months, I would say. Okay. Where are those six rentals located? They're spread out through Kansas City, Missouri, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. How did you develop the comfort level? to purchase that amount of properties in that period of time across different markets? I think that was the biggest struggle for me, being an out-of-state investor. Right from the get-go, I've talked to people in the local meetups or on bigger pockets. There were some, some mixed reviews, right? Some people who tried it and they were burned, so they weren't going to go back to the Midwest. Or there are other people who are like, why don't you stay local? It's much better. So there was a lot of kind of noise for me to have to navigate through. But the way that I felt comfortable doing all of this was definitely researching and researching. And a couple local investors who invest in Indianapolis and Kansas City really kind of took me under their wing and kind of showed me how they did it and then sent me to their contacts. So immediately after I put a property under contract, I took their advice and I flew out to Indianapolis and Kansas City. And I think that was the biggest game changer because it really helped level set my expectations of the different markets and how it differs from California and really helped me build the trust with the local boots on the ground, with the brokers, the wholesalers, and the property managers. Because I really took it to heart when they said, you buy a property once, but your team you work with for the long haul. So I wanted to make sure I have a team that I trust in place, and I think I do today. What type of financing did you use to secure the six properties, if any? I definitely used a mix of financing. So I have used conventional Fannie Mae mortgages. I've also used a HELOC. I've also used a 401k loan to purchase one all cash. And lastly, I've also used a private lender to do the Burr method and refinance. So a delayed cash out refinance Fannie Mae product. But my ultimate goal at the end of the day, once the properties are stabilized, is to convert them into Fannie Mae loans, fixed 30-year rates until I hit the 10 threshold. You said once they get stabilized, so what condition are they in right now? For the quote-unquote turnkey products, I don't know if the best ever listeners use turnkey, but these are properties that were distressed, but a provider has fully rehabbed and there's a tenant in place. For those products, I just typically finance them with 20% for a single-family residence. But if I'm doing the Burr method, I will buy them cash with private money or with a 401k loan and maybe put in ten to $15,000 worth of work to spruce up the place. And then I'll get an appraisal six months later to refi those out. So when I'm saying stabilize during that six months, making sure it's nicely rehabbed, got a tenant in there who's paying, and I'm kind of ready to refi. How are you finding the properties that have the equity going into them where 
you then renovate and you still have the equity difference that you can refinance and get your money out? I would definitely say the guys that I mentioned earlier who took me under their wing, they've been investing in those markets for two to five years. And they're telling me, Bo, it's a hot market. It's definitely different from when they first started. And I kind of like to use the 70% rule, meaning I want to buy a property all in purchase price and rehab, 70 cents on the dollar. But I'm realizing that's really hard to do in this market. So I've kind of lowered the bar actually to 75 cents or 78 cents on the dollar. So what this allowed me to do is still get a little bit of equity and pay maybe half the price that I would have paid for a turnkey property and kind of be in that control. But the caveat to that is I'm taking a little bit more of the risk on my side to make sure my after repair value is correct and to make sure that the scope of work and the budget is correct. Is that the primary success metric that you look at when evaluating an opportunity that 70 to 75 to 78 cents on the dollar all in costs? That's not the only one. I would also look at the cash on cash. So my kind of rule of thumb is I want to be at 12% or better cash on cash when I'm leveraged or financing the property. And also I'm looking at the debt service coverage ratio of about 1.2 or better. And rent to value ratios, I'm also looking at 1.2 or better. And rent to value is the value appraised at after repairs? Yes. Okay, got it. Sorry, what was that ratio that you look for? 1.2. Okay, got it. Kansas City, Indianapolis, Little Rock, what, if any, difference have you noticed in those markets as it relates to your bottom line? That's a good question. I think in terms of my bottom line, I think it depends because I kind of have different strategies for these different markets. So just to put it in perspective, for Indianapolis, I'm kind of targeting because this is where my team focuses on is areas that are pretty close to downtown, anywhere from 10 to 15, 20 minutes from downtown. So I wouldn't necessarily call it the suburbs. And I think these are good working class neighborhoods. And I'm not banking on appreciation by means, but it's the cash flowing nicely. But there have been signs of gentrification in these areas. So that will be icing on the cake. As for Little Rock, I'm kind of focused on more of the B class and I wouldn't get into more rougher neighborhoods, but that's the last market that I entered in. So I'm still learning. The cash on cash might be a slightly lower than Indianapolis or Kansas City, but that's a market that I just got into for similar reasons. Each of these markets has its pros and cons, but what I looked at was from a macro perspective, population is steady or growing and jobs are growing and it's very diverse and it's also very landlord friendly. The last time I looked up landlord laws in Little Rock, I think if they are late on their rent on the 6th, the whole process to have the sheriff escort them was only a couple weeks. I'm not a lawyer, so don't quote me, but that was based on some of the Googling that I did. And it made me realize these are very favorable for the landlords as compared to California, where I live, 
where it takes forever for an eviction to happen. And what's your play in Kansas City? Very similar to Indianapolis, actually. But for Kansas City, I'll go a little bit farther into the suburbs, maybe 30 minutes from downtown. I would consider these still C-class neighborhoods. Uh, in my opinion, they're very blue-collar, hardworking people, and they cash flow pretty well. You have taken many different financing approaches, conventional, HELOC, 401k loan, and a private lender. Let's talk about the private lender. How did you get to know him or her? This one was very interesting, actually. So him and I, we are both part of a Facebook group. For, it's a private Facebook group for real estate investors. And we just talked via Facebook messengers back and forth for a couple of weeks, just talking about deals different markets and just getting to know each other. And I never thought that he would be a private lender of mine for future deals. But I came across an opportunity. It was actually my first quote unquote Burr deal. And I was going to use a hard money lender, but I was looking at all of the fees for the hard money lender. And I was just talking to this buddy of mine saying, hey, these are kind of high fees the margins just might not be there for me to do a full out refi. And I was just talking with him and he was saying, hey, I have a little bit of cash saved up. Why don't I be your private lender? I don't want you to lose this opportunity. So that kind of lit an idea in my head and we got a loan agreement. I had my lawyer friend look at it. It was all good. So we both signed it and he funded the purchase and I funded the rehab. So we did that deal and I actually ended up doing a delayed cash out refi. So the terms of the deal was that there'll be interest only payments for six months with an option to extend for a couple more months. And then there will be a balloon payment for the principal. But within two months, the rehab was done. There was a tenant in place and everything was good. So I talked to my conventional lender who said he can do a delayed refinance of 75% of the ARV, not to exceed the purchase price and closing costs. So basically what that did was it left some of my money in the deal, maybe half of what I would pay for a traditional down payment on a turnkey, but also my leverage was only 60% when everything was set and done, not the 75%. So I was really happy with the deal and it really provided a proof of concept for me that I could rinse and repeat this even better. What would be some things that you would optimize if you were to do this similar approach again? I think a couple of things. I would definitely want to understand the scope of work a little bit better. So when I was initially doing this, I didn't quite understand scope of work. I, I kind of learned as I went. So looking back, it may have been a pretty big risk on my part, but now if I were to do it again, I would fully want to understand what's being done to the property in terms of CapEx items, because a month or two later, we ended up replacing the roof. So I would just want to make sure that, hey, if we can do it all at once, maybe we'll replace the roof at that time. So little things like that. But overall, I was really happy with the product and I would gladly do it again. The relationships that you have ship or ships, I don't know if it's one person or multiple people, that you have with your local contacts, local investors who then told you about what they're doing in these other markets was 
critical to your success here and opening up the door for you. How did you meet them initially? It's funny. I just hit them up either Bigger Pockets Messenger, if they posted on a forum, or I actually just hit them up on Facebook because they were also in a group that I was in. So if we were on a mutual group or I saw them post on Bigger Pockets, I would just private message them. And what really surprised me was how much these guys, generally speaking, 80-90% of the people that I messaged for the first time without knowing them, they were really welcoming and receptive and they were willing to share what they've learned throughout the years. And one thing I would add to that though was, I want to share a quick story if I may, is that also I know you're about the secret of living is giving. And I also agree that Zig Ziglar said, you can have anything that you want if you help others get what they want too. So when I went to Kansas City back in February, what I did was I reached out to the locals here who had properties in Kansas City, and I just offered to take pictures for them or bird dog for them or whatever value that I can bring as a newbie. I asked, hey, what can I do for you without asking for anything in return? So a couple of them actually asked for me to take pictures of their properties in Kansas City. So I snapped a couple pictures for them. And what happened was at one of these properties, the owner of the next door neighbor came out and asked me what I was doing. So I was telling him, I'm taking pictures for a friend. And she asked, hey, do you want to buy my property too? So I was like, sure, let me take pictures and get what's your purchase price. So I took pictures for them and I got a purchase price and I passed that along to my friend. And I don't know if they ended up taking the deal, but I know they were super thankful that I did that for them. And it just helped me realize that things roll and things began to click for me and things began to work out really well when I decided to help others without asking for anything in return. So that's kind of like a motto of mine as well. I love that story. And just so I'm understanding fully you said on BP Messenger, you'd message them or on Facebook, you'd message them because you're also in a group. So they're not necessarily local people. They're just people who you saw that they posted about investing and it resonated with you. And then you sent a follow-up message to them. Is that correct? Yeah. And some of them were in other states, but some of them were also local to me. So I live in Southern California. So there were a couple guys in San Diego that I actually ended up meeting face to face for dinner. There are a couple guys in LA that I met. And there was a couple guys in Irvine, Orange County that I ended up meeting as well. So there were some locals, but there were also guys from Virginia, Washington that are not local to me, but it had the same effect. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? My advice to the best ever listeners and people who are just starting out is, especially for a guy like myself who is into the numbers and into the details, I think looking back, if I didn't take action on the first one, I still may have been under the analysis paralysis up until this point. I kind of like to remember the game telephone where one guy passes on information to another and another. By the time it gets to the end user, Sometimes the information is not 100% there or sometimes it's distorted. So when I talk to people and they're like, don't get into real estate investing, don't do this, don't do that, I listened to them, but I also researched more and educated myself to mitigate the risk, but also to take action. 
So I like to challenge the people who reach out to me and ask, hey, how did you do this? Make sure you don't fall into that analysis paralysis and educate yourself enough and take that first step because I think it's way worth it. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at Eastern. EQ.com. The Target Market Insights Podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at TargetMarketInsights.com. That's TargetMarketInsights.com. Best ever book you've recently read? It has to be The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Best ever deal you've done? It would be my first Burr, the one that I mentioned earlier. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Not getting an inspection. Will you elaborate on that and which deal it was? Yeah, I think it was my fourth deal when I was buying all cash with my 401k And I was buying it from a wholesaler and I didn't get an inspection just because I knew there was going to be work that was needed to be done. So I ended up not doing inspection, but there were little things here and there that I know that an inspector would have caught instead of me just trying to walk the property and kind of see that visually. At the end of the day, I knew that there was going to be work needed to be done and I budgeted for it accordingly. But I don't know if that may or may not have changed my decision or maybe I could have negotiated a lower price had I known that these little nuances or uh, exceptions were out there. Best ever way you like to give back? I'd like to respond to all of the different messages in the forums and also The reason why I created a blog for myself is to kind of document my journey and be very transparent in terms of how I look at things, my thought process when I approach an investment and just share that knowledge. Because as I mentioned before, the two guys who really kind of took me under their wing and shared their contact and their knowledge with me, I want to be able to do that for the people who are just starting out as well. Speaking of your blog, how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? I just created this blog. It's called www.biggercashflow.com. And you can also email me at bo at biggercashflow.com. If you have any questions, if you just want to talk rental real estate, or if you want to meet up if you're local, I always love to learn and give back to other people as well. You bought six rentals in six months. You did it four different ways from a financing standpoint, and you bought in three different markets. Really interesting story and interesting to hear your thought process for how you mitigate the risk by getting connected with the right people and then plugging into their teams and their systems and their connections to then 
help you get started faster, but then also to help you have a credibility, a credible team as you get going. And the story about you traveling to the market, Kansas City in this example, where you asked what can you do to help those people out who connect you to these markets was great, where you took pictures of the properties and you also came back with a lead for them too. Whether or not that transpired and happened to be a close later, who knows, but you gave them a lead as a result of you being there. And that's a tremendous value. So thanks again for being on the show, talking about your approach, what you've done, looking forward to continuing to hear and and read about what you've been up to. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Joe. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com.